Faith Forged Fathers is a podcast focused on navigating fatherhood and growing what God has called us to be as fathers. My name is Matthew Green. I'm a father of two young sons, and the mission of this podcast is to provide a wide array of experiences, perspectives through interviewing guests from all stages of fatherhood. My hope is that we'll all learn together, gain encouragement and wisdom along the way. Thanks for listening. Welcome to today's episode of Faith Forged Fathers. My guest today is Pete Hickson. Uh, Pete is an organizational leader and speaker. He's a pastor. He's a coach. He's a special needs advocate, which I think is incredible, and we get to talk a lot about that today. He's the founder of Beyond Communities, a nonprofit organization designed to build residential housing for young adults with special needs. Uh, He's a husband. He's a father. He loves Jesus, and we had a wonderful conversation. So check out my conversation today with Pete Hickson. It's funny. I've been in these conversations with several, just was in another one, literally the meeting before getting in in here um, with another guy about, like I'm in this zone of my life where I feel like, okay, I do this. Like you were just mentioning, okay, we have Beyond Communities. Then I, you know, do kind of a teaching pastor role in two churches. Love that story brand. Love that. Then the coaching is very connected to story brand, right? We just coach other formulas and frameworks as well. And then beyond communities. And it's like, man, I mean, what am I now? You know, (laughs) I do all these things or what, you know, uh, and, and, and then it's funny. It doesn't matter how older or successful or more pristine some guy is every man seems to still be asking the question what am i going to be when i grow up Mm. you know we're surprised at how many people still ask that question yeah Um, and my observation in it or at least my um theory is i think that is a god an intentional God, God intended vacancy. We're searching for that to be the golden egg and our identity is never to be in that. You know, it is the more important things. I am of course, God's child. I'm Holly's husband and I'm hoping Addie's dad. And that that's more important than any of those other things, you know, mm-hmm. but you know, it's just been this really interesting conversation I've had with a lot of men recently. Um, and sorry to jump into that. I'm no, just, I love it. I'm I'm good just to just to keep on that, keep on rolling. As you're as you were kind of just laying out these things, it's like the the more I feel like I'm involved in, and I do think there is a hey, let's streamline that. Like, but as I have migrated from twenty some years of pastoring and be, knowing being one thing and being known as you know like this this is all I know, um, pastoring local churches or whatever, to okay I'm doing this and a little bit of that and all that. It's not about, Hey, go do a ton of things. It's just, I'm starting to see them align more as like, my job is to show up and God is, has got me in that room for a specific reason. And if I'm in tune with what he wants to do, then, you know, I'm going to be used by him regardless of what hat I was wearing that brought me into that room. So anyway, no, I love that. I mean, I love that. I think one of the things my pastor has been saying lately is like, if if you're, it's kind of the tune, like if you, if you're not fulfilled without it, you won't be fulfilled with it. Like, you know, a lot of people think like, 
oh, if only I get this, then I'll be happy. I'll be fulfilled. That, you know, that God purpose kind of hole that you're talking about will be filled by all this stuff. Once I get it, once I achieve right. this, I'll do that. And I mean, I'm guilty of that as well. Like I'm still, you know, young in my career and all these kind of things. And I'm always like, oh, if only, you know, once I get to that next level, everything's going to settle down more. It'll be easier. Once I get that next promotion, everything will be easier and everything. And it's, I think it's really been helpful in a lot of these conversations, hearing from people that have done it. It's like, no, like that's not what fills the the, the gap, you know? And um, I also love, it sounds like, you know, you can spend time in your life and your career trying to always pursue the next thing versus being present and purposeful in That's the opportunity it. at hand. And next thing you know, those opportunities are starting to reveal themselves because they're in the timing that they are intended to be, that yeah. you're prepared for it to come, right? Like sometimes you need like that extra preparation, um, the trial to kind of, you know, build that spiritual endurance that maybe you didn't have had you have just been served up the opportunity to begin with. So I think it's really cool to hear you say like, as I'm just like working in this space, next thing I know, this thing pops up where like I'm, I'm the person who was supposed to be in that chair. Um, that's really neat. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it is, it's a constant battle for all of us. You know, I mean, let's call it what it is. It's, it could be any kind of, we're always looking for something to satisfy us and those things become idols and they're good things until they become something that's more important than the thing. You know? yeah. And, um, but I just think for, and I'm, I don't want to say this for every guy or say that it's only guys, but like, it just, cause we're in kind of this space of sure. dads and whatnot, like, man, I, I just think we feel like we're alone and it was a hard thing for me to to migrate out of or to step into the unknown of I've only done one thing and I don't know how to. I just had so much of an unintentional definition and satisfaction and, well, I know what I'm going to be for the rest of my life. Mm. And while there's nothing wrong with somebody literally doing something, one thing for their whole life and finding satisfaction, that's not the point, whether it is or it isn't. It was more um, what well, what am I supposed to do now? And I think it was, it's just been a somewhat of a realization and a comforting fact and a convicting fact that we put just too much stock in our occupation or in the things that the success of our occupation or just, okay, I figured out my lane for life and that's what I do. That's who I am. When, um, you know, those things don't always, they won't fulfill us in a way that a relationship with our heavenly father is. And, um, and in a way that our, hopefully our kids and our wives, you know, our wives can, uh, find fulfillment in what our greater calling is. So, yeah, now you saying that, like, this just kind of sparked in my mind. And I, and I know that I would, Again, I preface in the beginning, I am no theologian. And I know that. I, I, so if Same. there's a, yeah. if I'm misguided on this take, please, please uh, correct. But like, think about, like, I think about the life of Jesus, right? Like, he spent the first 30 years of it, you know, obviously not all as a carpenter, but like, you know, as a child, he's not, but a vast majority of his life as a carpenter, right? And it's not until he's at the wedding and his mom, you know, his mom saying, like, hey, like, kind of like, 
now's the time you know and he's like mom like you know, now is not the, like I, I love the chosen episode of kind of the depiction of that moment where he realizes that now is the time for me to start my ministry right and so he spent the first 30 years of his life not necessarily like publicly in that capacity and then there was a moment where he's like okay like now is the time for me to pursue or to like fulfill like why I'm here right yeah. so that there was even like that that shift in his life where like he spent the first 30 of it just amongst everybody as another you know just another person I should say big air quotes there obviously yeah. um, but then there was that that point where it was time for him to start on the ministry that he came down to do so he wasn't from the moment he set foot like this this is the sole reason you know, I don't know if that if I'm misguided on that, but that was just kind of oh, like that was a, a turning point for him, you know, kind of as well. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, practically speaking, it's where people will say, and again, we just have expectations, which that's sort of another subject I've been really diving into lately of of the relationship killers are expectations and assumptions. But mm. um the expectation that I've got to have it figured out by X and then at this age, and then, then I just soar through my whatever's meaning age, age frames, like in my twenties or thirties or forties or whatever, when there's a lot of, you know, stats that prove sometimes you hit your best stride in your fifties, you know, (laughs) great because I'm almost there, (laughs) but, but even that can then become we're waiting for something to happen versus living what you were in right now. Like you just said, being present, like we will miss our whole life if we are always waiting for the next thing that is going to be the thing Yeah, and might be living in the thing right now. And um, that's why I just, I don't know, there's just a deep sense in me that like, what is, what does God have for my life right now? Show up just show up, be present, be there and open your eyes, see that I'm active in all of it. And I'm not saying I tune into that all the time by any means, you know, I let my flesh get in the way or I'm just tired or I'm frustrated or I just want to move on with this and get to this or, you know, fast forward something, but he is just so much more. I think we would believe have a more solid belief in him when we give him the credit for all the things that are happening around us all the time. So, yeah, I love that. So now we've kind of, I love that we just kind of jumped in and we've talked a lot about like, you know, looking forward in our lives. Like what if we just, like, can we hit a big rewind and kind of take Please. it, maybe take yeah. it back to the beginning from, from you. I'm just, I would love to hear um, kind of what's your kind of, what's your story from, you know, what's your journey to, to faith and maybe to, in, into fatherhood and things like that look like, look like for you. Yeah. I grew up primarily in Iowa, grew up on a farm. My dad didn't farm the land. He was in construction, but um, we kind of had what would be considered a hobby farm, I guess. We just rented a farmhouse and then we got chickens and we started out with goats because my oldest sister was allergic to dairy products. So we uh, drank goat's milk, which today, if you ask my wife, I cannot stand any goat cheese or goat milk. Oh, really? Just can't. Think of it <laughs> too much. It. Yeah. Um, but um so we I grew up there, and as crazy as this sounds, we were when I was in kindergarten, um I was in a, a, a private Christian school and I just 
our teacher asked questions about heaven and about God and all this. And I just remember like there was this day where it it just hit me, you know, and I knew that whatever she was talking about, I didn't understand. And I went home and I told my mom about it. And she sat down on my kitchen table at our kitchen table in our, you know, farmhouse there in Altoona, Iowa. And she explained to me what it was all about, yeah. that, about Jesus, the gospel, sin, forgiveness, salvation. And with a childlike spirit, I just genuinely believed in Jesus. And however crazy that sounds at the age of five, it was like so vivid to me, even to today, you know, 43 years later, that that was a moment where it began. And um, uh, so obviously I was raised in a Christian home. So thankful for my mom and my dad and, you know, just that upbringing and raised in church, kind of raised in sort of some um, super stringent, like at a young, young age, Baptisty kind of thing. And then we moved, migrated more towards like a, call it a non, I don't even know if it was called that, but like, it's called Grace Church, you know, just yeah. like a church. And it was probably in my teenage years uh, where my youth pastor was a huge part of, of, of this formation. Um, and another couple friends of mine at the time of just really engaging in that personal relationship with God. Like, what does that look like? And things like reading, really reading my Bible and having devotions and having like just by myself, you know, and that was a really pivotal moment. And then my youth pastor started just inviting me to do this and that. And then, you know, we kind of became friends even as a teenager. And it was like, Hey, lead this little Bible study thing or do whatever. And then we had a bus route in the church where I grew up. So on Sunday afternoons, we would go and pick up kids not far from where our church was in the mm -hmm. inner city and bring them in whose parents would never bring them to church. And there was really something about that moment for me that I just felt like I was, I had a part in what God cared about you know, for yeah. people. And I loved it. And so that's amazing to be doing it 18 years old, you know, like there's yeah. so, so many other paths, typical, you know, 18 year olds take. And so that's, that's really encouraging to hear yeah. that. You, uh, well, I can't take much credit for it. my youth pastor was like, Hey, why don't you come help me do this? And I also think that he was just needed some labor to help clean the restrooms. And set up here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know he had all the purest motives, but let's be honest, you know, he needed help. And, and I just loved it. I mean, I just loved it. I just loved being in a space where I was in with a group of people that I was not raised. Like it was a very different community that I was not aware of until I was and it, it was very eye-opening for me. Um, and then we did a couple trips to inner city Chicago and did some other things. It was just, which is interesting because I never necessarily went into the inner city route ministry, but it was just, it just helped me see we're all the same, but man, there's some circumstances and individuals that have needs. And I just loved participating, I, I would say with, I, the best way I could put it, with God and him bringing his love to people. So that was the forma formation for me, then decided I wanted to go to the ministry route. 
spent my first year out of high school traveling with this ministry team thing, then went to Liberty University, then did an internship with a Christian band organization that was based out of Atlanta, took a semester off to do that and recruiting students for Liberty. That's how I met my wife, who's from the Atlanta area, recruited her, air quotes, <laughs> to go to to go to Liberty. And then we got engaged. We got married in 1997 and we were, I was still, you know, doing, finishing up my, my degree, working through that, started working as a part-time, you know, kids and youth pastor in a church. And that was in Roxboro, North Carolina. And then from there, we went to Arkansas, from Arkansas to Florida. Wow. Um, and then from Florida to Atlanta. And that's where we really spent many years and planted a church, passed oh, very cool. a long time, then moved to Nashville, then Ohio. <laughs> and then in how, how, how long of a time span? Or I guess, how long were y'all in any one place? Uh, so, I mean, there were some short ones. So North Carolina, when we first got married, we were there, I don't know, a, some total of a couple of years. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, Arkansas, three years. Florida, one year. And then the Atlanta area, we moved there in 2001 or 2002 and moved in 2014. So we were there like 12. Okay, years. nice. That was, that, and that's where I would say like we raised our girls. So, and that's where I'm at now, you know. Um that was just kind of home for our family. And then Nashville, two years, Ohio, three years. And then we moved back to the Atlanta area in 2019. And we've been here since then. And for as far as I can see down the road, we'll be here. So, but who knows, but yeah. Um, and in that process of 2019 of moving back to the Atlanta area was a pivotal moment for us, because again, I only knew one thing career-wise, which was working in local churches, loved it, still do. Um, yet it was just a different season. And when we moved back to the Atlanta area, uh, we stepped out of a, a, a church in Ohio. And I just said to the girls, I had moved our kids, Hope and Addie, who at that time were in high school. Mm -hmm. I'd moved them around in their middle school and high school years and, or, where we moved, moved them around, you know? Um, and I said, this move is not about dad or his job. Where do you guys want to go? I knew where that would be. We all wanted to come back to Atlanta. And I said, if there's a church, great. If there's not, God will take care of us. I'll figure out what I'm going to do, but this is for you guys. Wow. Um, and so I even said, wherever in the area of Atlanta, you want to move to, that's where we'll move. And I really let them make that decision. Um, I just really felt that in my spirit at the time. And um, was that kind of spurred on by like feeling like there had been so much moving and changing over the years, you wanted to kind of give them like a feeling of like, Hey, where do you want to plant with a little bit more like permanence or like kind of what spurred you to kind of feel like you yeah, wanted to give them that? That's a great question. I think, I think a lot of it was just like, I want, I, I, and by the way, like I, it's not like, Hey, I had these deep thoughts. It was just more, a real sense of a, a priority thing. Like I wanted them to feel like they were the priority of my life, not 
another city and another church calling dad. And then we're anchoring our roots again and we're calling this new place home and we're going to, you know, go at it for God and, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm not being negative towards that. I think sometimes those of us who are entrepreneurial speaking in ministry really wrestle with something that we might not realize. And it's, there's a little bit of, I'm going to go pioneer this thing or go do this thing or go launch this thing. And then our kids, (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I just didn't want, I, I just, I just kind of let it all go. And I just said, that's it. I'm not, I'm not doing anything. This next move that is about me, nothing. Mm. Um, And I will figure out a way to make money to provide. And I had no idea what that would be because I didn't know anything since the age of 18 until 43, you know, like, uh, or 44, however, like we've been, been here since 2019. So whatever that was, math, I mean, (laughs) um, for 23, 22, 23 years. And I thought, I, I don't know what to do. I've never done anything other than that to make a living, you know? Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, up to that point, it's like, you know, as a man and as a provider, like you're, you're doing all those things, like as a, as a noble cause, right? Like you weren't saying like, Oh, I'm going to purposely prioritize this stuff over my family. Like at least no. I think most men are like, I need to do this for like ultimately for the, the long-term benefit of my family. But then in right. turn, it can become such a hyper-focus that your family's like, I'd rather you like rather your attention than whatever you are going to provide. Um, right. I've been in seasons like that where I was like, let's get the job title. Once I get it, my family's going to be so well off. And they're like, well, I prefer you not work as many hours as it takes for you to, to provide that. So true. And I think even in parenting and marriage tension balance, yeah, balance, whatever, you know, I'll never forget a time when our girls were younger and my wife was just seeing it from her perspective now, but not understanding it. Then I felt like I was beating my head against the wall. She felt like she was beating her head against the wall, trying to communicate, but neither one of us knew how to do it by just saying like, we're kind of like basically screaming at each other. And this wasn't physical. We were in a physical verbal confrontational, but it Mm -hmm. wasn't like a fight fight. It was just like, well, I'm doing this and this, and I, I just don't understand. You know what I mean? So you're just kind of like, and then she finally just said like, cause I was saying, I, I help, I do that. Like I'm going through the list of duties that I felt like was what was needed. And mm-hmm. by the way, it is, and it was, and it was meaningful and it was important, you know, help them get up, help what I can't remember what stage of life they, they were in, you know, whatever their needs were change the diaper or whatever, you know, it was beyond that point, but, you know, get them to school, do the thing, help them at bath at night and do homework. Like I'm like, I'm present to do all those things. And again, while she was not saying those things don't matter, what she was really crying out to me was, I don't necessarily just need you to do those things. I need you. Like I need you to be with me. Like I need you. I need your, I need your focus. Like at me you know, and it just stopped me in my tracks. And I think, you know, it's similar, you know, and my kids didn't say that at that moment. Nobody said that to me. They weren't unwilling to do any of that. I knew they didn't want to move to another city. And it was like, I just felt in a moment when I saw it in the mirror, 
if I was, if I wasn't careful enough, I would get a phone call and someone would, you know, lure me with this mission. That's <laughs> very mission oriented and it's not wrong or bad. And, you know, but I was like, nope, I'm not listening to any of that. I just felt really deep. The most important thing is my kids need to feel like they're the priority. Yeah. That's why I said priority. It was just all about a priority. They so are- was that conversation kind of like pretty close to that 2019 move? Yeah, that's when we were we were moving from Ohio. And I was like in a really tight window also of they're going to be starting school. Or what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? And I don't know what to like. And, I, you know, and there was a series of a couple of things that happened. And then, you know, we made the decision first, we're going back to Atlanta. And that's when I said, if there's a church that needs a pastor, that's all I've done. That's all I, but it's different than like, I'm going to show up in a city and knock on church doors and go, do you, are you looking for, you know, this is what I do for a living. You know, I can do yeah. this, you know, versus somebody calling. And I, I just knew the route I could go, which is go to some of the, whatever, talk to friends and, you know, are we going to move to California? Are we going to move to Oregon? Are we going to move to Tennessee? Are we going to move somewhere like just for that? I knew that wasn't the right thing this time. It was, we're going to a place and we're going to figure out the rest because that place is, was very important to my, to my family, you know, yeah. especially to my kids um, and to my wife. So that was it. And then I was, of course, as a, as a dad and a guy and I'm like, okay, how am I going to make ends meet then? You know, I had a, a little bit of some space with a, you know, a parting agreement with the church. So I was like, all right, I got a little bit of time, but I got to figure this out. Going to Atlanta, figuring out things. It was just a, kids are going to be starting school within weeks, not months, you know, and we got to redo everything. And, uh, and then I was fishing in Montana with a group of friends. And one of those friends uh, is the guy that runs a company called Story Brand that, that you mentioned. Yeah. Said, hey, we're doing all these things. Why don't you come help this? And I was like, oh, okay, I can try that, I think. And long story short, I got trained to be a private workshop facilitator with Story Brand. Some of the other initial conversation pieces didn't really come to fruition, which was great for everyone. And then I became a coach under Business Made Simple, which we don't have to go into all that, but like basically coaching individuals and companies on frameworks. And I say it this way, everything centers around communication and we need to be better communicators and more clear and simple communicators. So I more specialize in helping individuals and organizations with their mission with their message and with their marketing and kind of in that order, but it doesn't have to be in that order. So those are the things. And then it took me a good year and a half, two years. I'm still into the transition of it, of getting comfortable with, okay, this is, this is what I can do. And I'm, I don't mean this in a, in a, uh, Hey, I'm great way, but it's like, I am good at this because I'm a communicator by nature. Yeah. I have been doing that my whole life there's one thing I do. I just have a big mouth. And so I just need to <laughs> engineer it in the right way. And now I can help other people be better communicators internally and externally. And we can talk about some of the ways I do that with companies, but yeah, that was a really long round. No, I, I love it. I love just kind of painting the whole picture of kind of, you know, how you got where you are today. And like, there's just like a lot of um, like big time 
faith decisions made along the way too you know there's you know a lot clearly a lot of a lot of trust that the god's going to come through and um in in the timing that uh, that he you know his will and but your need uh needed so when you're talking about um like with companies around like miss it, mission message and marketing um how did you come about like those those three kind of buckets was that something that you kind of pulled from like your time as you know, as a pastor that like a an approach maybe like you took maybe with your family like, like where did that framework come yeah. from well, a lot of it actually comes from the actual frameworks that we, so my coaching, air quotes, certificate, certification comes from Business Made Simple, which StoryBrand is now the marketing agency underneath that. Okay. Business Made Simple is a host of frameworks that deal with anything from as tactical as how to write a proposal that makes sense to how to create a personal and organizational mission. So there's a host of deals with, I mean, the bottom line is, and, and, and Don uses this, uh, this airplane model of, you know, your engine and your, your cockpit and your wings and your fuel and what, you know, but how do you run a small to medium sized business kind of thing? And you need leadership and you need finances and you need marketing and you need sales and all this stuff which again, it's just a very different world and language that, that I used to speak, but translated what I have become comfortable with is I'm still dealing with human beings and what I have always worked with is human beings. And I've just had to go. So what am I good at with human beings? And I just kind of took the mission piece and we have a specific framework that I walk individuals sometimes through companies through and then message. That's the actual story brand framework if you're familiar with it and if not you know not they, not super thoroughly now story brand is a communication tool that is based on the formula of story which is how people write books how people write movies how people write screenplays and every story has seven parts one there's a character who's the hero they want something two there's a problem that gets in the way three there's a guide that comes along Four, the guide offers them a plan five. They call them to action. You got to do something. You got to act. You got to make movement. And then six and seven are the stakes in the story. If you do it, they're telling you to do, you're going to succeed. And if you don't, you fail. Ooh. And um, that is the formula for every story. You could put it into star Wars. You could put it into Tommy boy. You could put it into Shawshank redemption. Sometimes there's one guide. Sometimes there's a compilation of guides, but that's the formula for every good story. So we teach companies and organizations. That's what human beings care about. So if you put your messaging through that formula, they will listen when you talk. Wow. Foundationally and primarily the importance of that is you are not the hero of your customer story. They're the hero. You're the guide. They're not looking for a hero. They're looking for a guide. That's the number one problem that most companies, organizations, and well-meaning individuals position themselves to say, I'll do this for you. I'll solve the day. I'll win the day for you. They don't want you to. They want you to help them do it. So that is as brief as I can put it. And we talk about how the human brain thinks and why we have to keep it simple and clear. And then so that's messaging. I love that. That's a very story brand product. There's about six or seven of us in across the country that are trained to do. So they'll send me to 
I was just in Montana and just in Idaho. And, and sometimes it's virtual. Sometimes it's wherever they send me to go and do a private workshop for typically an executive team up to X amount of people in the room. And we just workshop and brainstorm and that's come awesome. up with their companies. I call it a playbook. You did that with DPN, right? I think that's where... DPN, yep. Yeah, because Joe Rinaldi's the guy who's like, you got to reach out to Pete. And I, oh, I, that's right. That's right. So Joe, Joe is... Uh, I'm a big BPN us. guy. So he, yeah, he that's right. Like, so that's how I met BPN, which is how I met Joe, um, which is how I met you. So that's what I do. Um that's one of the things that I do. So I just kind of go where they send me to go and go do this workshop for companies. But I also, through Business Made Simple Coaching, we have a platform called Business Made Simple University, which I would encourage you to check out. It is all of the courses, all online. It's $275 a year, very minimal cost to get all of that. And then like, I'll put a client on that and then I'll coach them through the process. And I don't say I can help you with all of it. I've really just narrowed it down. I'm, I'm good at mission and message and then how to apply it to your marketing and marketing really isn't my specialty. It's really more mission and message, but I can tell you what to put into your marketing if that makes sense. So, yeah. So change like kind of translating like that mission and message, like to fatherhood, like how, how could you see like, dads leading their family kind of leverage that framework for their families man one thing that i did at a a friend's church that i'm kind of a teaching pastor at in the wilmington north carolina area we did a family mission workshop and primarily it was just a bunch of young families that came in this room it was one of the funnest things i've ever done and i took our mission statement made simple curriculum that's designed for businesses and translated it into helping families write a mission and guiding principles for their families. And what we tell people and companies, but also individuals and families, is it doesn't have to be something that's long-term and you're solving the whole world problem. It could be something as simple as, hey, Christmas time's coming. And and again, so much of what StoryBrand and even this curriculum is focused on is something that we do not bring into the picture in both marketing and in mission, which is what's the problem that we're solving. That's actually what, why do we watch a TV show? We want to see if the problem's going to get solved. Why do we watch a whole series and, and seasons? Because is the da-da-da going to get the da-da-da? Mm-hmm. Like that's just what every human's, oh, we're not trying to, you know, create drama we're just trying to identify what is the reason why our company exists there's a problem that we solve and if you can identify that then you can communicate to human beings in a way that makes sense to them so translated into mission because there are families in our community that will not have a christmas this year we're going to do a garage sale and give everything that we make to X organization, or we're going to create it for three families or one family, or because so-and-so named them, we know them, they've gone through a tough time. We're going to do this and then give them this. Like that's a mission statement. Hmm. And if we are living without mission as the church collectively, as an individual, as a family, as a couple, I just had this through some one-on-one kind of life coaching yesterday. I was talking about a marriage and it's like, we argue you this and we argue this and we're trying to help this, but we're da, 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 da. But when we take those sites and we aim them at something together, 
that is being on mission together. That has so much more purpose. Like let's stop fighting with each yeah. other, looking at each other and all of our differences. One of the, I mean, my wife and I are in a new season of empty nester, you know, and it's easy because we just do have a lot of stare at each other time. Like, what are we going to do? Like, what are we, you know? Yeah. Because just don't know what to do with the dead space. You know, it's just a different time of life and we're pretty busy people, but um, beyond communities has been the thing. We just said, you know what, we're going to solve this problem, not just for ourselves, although it started with that. We want to help families like this. Like it allows us to focus on something together. Sure. All that to say, it doesn't matter if it's a person, it doesn't matter if it's a it's a unit, if it's a business, if it's a, like if you don't know the mission you're after, you're just gonna, you know, it's this it's the age old proverb, you know, where there is no vision, the people perish. And I just say, mm-hmm. where you don't have a mission, you're just gonna flounder through life or spend way too much time and money on something that doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I would like to uh, kind of talk a little bit more about beyond communities. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a really special thing. Would you mind kind of kind of sharing uh, what it is and kind of maybe a bit of the, the, I guess the origin story, kind of how it came about. Yeah. So the, the beginnings are based on our daughter, Hope, uh, who's 22 next week. We have two girls. Hope is 22. Addie is 19. Well, Hope's almost 22. Addie's 19. Um, and uh, Hope, when she was born, went into respiratory distress, stopped breathing, basically caused a gap in her brain, was diagnosed with cerebral palsy at a young age. And we've just been a part of this special needs community for a long time, trying to figure it out, raise, you know, day by day, everybody's just parenting is tough anyway, but you know, mm-hmm. it's just another layer. Uh, the divorce rate is 90% plus. Um, wow. It's pretty, pretty high. Again, sometimes I wonder about stats. Are they really true? I don't know. But I, as I look across actual humans, I'm like, mm, that's probably pretty true. Um, most scenarios that we see. And as hope, this was another pivotal point of moving our family back here and not jumping into something. It gave us space for the Lord to really put into our hearts this vision for beyond communities. Um, and I didn't really know exactly what it was, but the biggest problem that this community faces is when you get to be a young adult, your options and opportunities are very few. And most then start to live with aging parents and there's no long-term plan and subsidiary challenges. The spectrum is so wide that you can't just say special needs and put everybody in one room. Mm -hmm. Like it just doesn't serve what we're discovering in our day and time now is something that we've discovered for ourselves a long time ago that, but for this population, we're just far behind the, the ball is the more options and opportunities based on, I call it a ability category, we can see more potential realized. Um, Through a host of other circumstances, actually being on a friend's podcast, we discovered a place called Shepherd's College in Wisconsin. That's where Hope is now a second year student, phenomenal place specifically designed for this people group. She will be finished She's finishing her second year. She's got one more year. There's maybe some fourth year options out there. She's been living in Wisconsin as a college student, you know, coming home on breaks and whatnot. Like we, people say, oh, I bet your dreams come true. We never even dreamed of it. So it, it it's just that amazing that, that we're able to 
you know, see this happen. Um, and then, uh, long story short, so we've been processing this for the three and a half years, trying to learn of what residential options are out there. And our biggest heartache was not just the waiting list, not just the cost, but we have to create an option where it creates more growth and like for her ability category. So we are going into mixed use developments and this gets into your real estate kind of deal. And it's too long of a story, but only a God story of how I met the guy who's the developer. His name's Adam Orkin here in the Atlanta area who has a son who's 26 on the spectrum, similar to hope. He's been wanting to do something Everybody knows that, like, what are we going to do next? And, every, you know, in this community, you just shuffle around. And because they're just such joyful individuals for yeah. the most part, we don't really think they want more. And we're not trying to say, hey, let's make them selfish human beings. But Hope wants to live on her own. But the options are not out there. Yeah. So we're just trying to create one option. We're not solving the whole problem, but we just are basing our model off of her ability category and many others like her, which by the way, from what I've understood, there's 150,000 individuals like Hope in her ability category who are graduating high school every year in the United States. What are we doing with them? Where are they going? So our vision is go to a shepherd's college, go to a post-secondary environment, which those are being created by the dozens every year and we love it where they can go beyond high school beyond transition yeah skills training get some job training i mean we think shepherd's college is the best of the best of the best we love it but there's other environments out there too go do that and then come live it beyond communities where the handoff because you've been trained somewhat you know and we're embedding these into mixed use developments where there's other merchants there, shops there, activity there, other real uh, residential there, where we're embedding them into this safe mixed use. Like it's where everybody wants. You can live here and walk here and go up mm -hmm. to the shop or go down to the brewery and hang out or do this cornhole tournament or there's this concert on the stage on the green, you know, like that's the kind of environment this is in. And we are appropriately supporting them with more of a coaching model to make okay. sure getting to work, getting on time, staying healthy, and we're in process of creating what that model looks like and raising funds to buy the land and then build six townhomes where we will place our individuals and then appropriately support them. Very cool. So is it, are the actual like spaces or units, I guess, designed or structured any differently, or is it more just like them having a community of people? Um, and also, like you said, like the support network, is that kind of what makes, makes the community kind of unique? It's just the support component or is it not necessarily like needing um the space designed any differently yeah it's not about the space and okay. that is primarily based on the specific ability category we're gotcha. going after but it doesn't matter like we're looking at seven or eight other locations in the north atlanta area alone to create kind of a north atlanta project where we'll have 15 to 25 residents in each. And it doesn't matter if it's a townhome, if it's an apartment, if it's a house, we're structuring it where they'll each have their own bedroom, own bathroom, some common space, and they'll have more. It's really more the support model that is embedded into a community like everywhere. They're either building or refurbishing these, you know what I'm talking about, just mixed mm -hmm. use developments. Yeah, absolutely. And 
that's really the important part. What the unit looks like doesn't matter as much. Obviously, there are some dynamics we'll be more sensitive towards and need to be. But for the most part, we want them to be living in, for example, in this townhome. The plan is there will be four individuals, um, one bedroom, one bathroom, common space. Mm -hmm. And then we'll have some on-site, oversight, overnight kind of sort of just for a protective layer yeah um one of the townhomes will have probably neurotypical individuals that will subsidize their rent and then in exchange have them have some overnight responsibility but these are higher functioning individuals again this is our ability group based on my daughter yeah and our units we're planning to have all the smart technology you can imagine so that we can appropriately monitor things and know where they are and know that when the doors are locked and like i don't mean that in an inappropriate controlling way but no yeah, not at all i mean i have I to control you, this yeah you having a good understanding for you and i yeah. yeah um and and so that's what we're looking at so to where our vision is beyond communities can be anywhere literally where there is the dynamics and we will build, buy, or lease space so that they can live there and then they will pay rent to us. The model is I'm trying to raise 50% of the actual real estate costs so that they can afford it because they will be working individuals. Mm -hmm. We're not like, this isn't a free or cheap thing or like come here when I say cheap, like we're not trying to say, hey, this is necessarily doable for everybody. We're just trying to create an option that, makes sense and we want it to be more accessible um and give them independent living where they're going to be paying the bills and then of course there's some going to be some gaps there where families or maybe trusts or we're building a uh endowment into it so anyway. yeah no that's really like, and i'm sure like the passion or, or behind the mission when it's something that like directly can improve like the well-being in the life of like your daughter, I can't. I can only imagine what that feels like. So did did the uh, initial exposure to this uh, like this kind of gap in the housing um, market come about as as hope was getting more and like late in their teens, and you're like starting to kind of future plan more, and then starting to realize this gap exists. Is that kind of when? Yeah. And 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 I tell all families like us. And they're like, that's exactly what it feels like. It, as she was getting ready to graduate high school, you always know it's coming, but you're just trying to survive, you know, get one foot in front of the other, put a log in front to cross the ocean. You don't know if there's another side. It's like, and then all of a sudden, most states at the age of 22, where the typical state and circumstances, they graduate high school, let's just say around 18. Well, you have until 22, the state provides what's called a transition academy type place. It's called different things after that. And we're not saying that like, we think the state should provide more, but the bottom line is after that, there's nothing that is provided. So you have to say, how do I fill up their day? What do we do? What, how can we, how, you know, what's going to happen? And so it's never just one thing. It is a compilation of things that are coming to the table. And I think a lot of smart people are coming to the table across this country that are solving the greater problem for the crisis that we have just been living in and expecting what we don't know like everybody to be happy by living in the basement with mom and dad we don't know you know what are we going to do and i can't 
you know, I'm just a parent. And what happened was as she was approaching graduating, we knew there was a few years, but it was like walking towards a cliff. And now I could feel the wind on the other side of the mm -hmm. cliff that just left to air. And I went, Oh my God, what are we going to do? What is she going to do? And you know, it's coming, but now I feel the wind. Yeah. And it was just like, it was a good, like I tell people turn your, you know, it pain, you know, you hear this into a purpose, like make your, whatever is hard for you, turn it into a mission because it's probably not just you. Others are, are struggling with this. So we set out to do this for hope primarily, but for many families and people like her, we really want to reach a younger generation of moms and dads to say the earlier we can start thinking this way. One of my real desires is God, could we give vision to a life of more independence than what we think is possible to couples who are raising a five-year-old and a six-year-old and a seven-year-old when they are struggling with divorce and just want to get out mm -hmm. because they just don't see an end to this. But what if we could lift the lid and say, Hey, listen, let me just tell you, like, there's more coming. And, you know, I don't, yeah, no, I think that's... no guarantee, but we really want, we just believe that, that God is behind this more than just meeting a practical need, but it is meeting a practical need as well. Um, and we're, I think it's a miraculous thing when you can, it's not just a physical, I tell people all the time, you know, Jesus still raises the dead and and there are dreams that are dead that can be raised again. Mm. It doesn't have to just be a physical body. And I yeah. think in this space, there's miracles to be done. So I'm inviting everybody to be a part of it. You know, no, I love that. I feel like it can breathe life into marriages, like you said, and also just provide a lot of hope. You know, I think something like this yeah. can, you know, I'm curious to hear your take, just kind of going back to you talking about um, mission, right? Where, you know, in marriages, a lot of times it's kind of like the crosshairs can be pointed at each other versus towards something um, like a common target. Right now, something like this can create, maybe alleviate some of that tension between a couple and say like, hey, no, look, look, we have this to focus on and this right. to drive towards so our, you know, our daughter or, or our son can flourish, right? So I think that that could be really cool. You, and there's one thing also um, that I'm, I'm kind of curious to get your take on. So going back to um, your eight, your, when you're 18 and you said you didn't realize that there were these other communities out there until like you did. Yeah. You know, was that how you felt kind of with the the special needs community? Like you didn't realize kind of what was out there until like, yeah. like, oh, like is it kind of a yeah. same, same idea? from from the inner city world like i grew up in a i mean i grew up in a rural farm and you know just kind of like family oriented christian you know the whole deal church going and when i got thrown into that as a teenager that was that was very uh different for me um but it opened my eyes for this people say did you have much special needs you know contact or context prior to and um, I really didn't. I mean, it, it, but it became a part of our life. And we tell people, which is funny, you say, giving hope to people, that is our daughter's name. And it is so significant to this day that it's funny. My wife and I named her. We did this happened at birth. So we had no idea. Oh, you know? wow. And, um, and we took the HO from Holly and the PE from Pete. And that's how we named her. And, uh, cause we just thought it was cute. Cause some friends of ours 
named their their Mark and Kelly, and they named their daughter Mally. Or I think I said that right. Anyway, and I was like, "That's fantastic! I love the name Hope. It's great." We had no idea the significance that that would be. Yeah. Still, you know, even what we're doing now, even hearing you say that today is just another great reminder of like you know, God has great purpose in these things um, that are painful and difficult and expectations that don't happen the way you thought, you know, but oh my goodness, you know, let, let him do his work. Um, but yeah, that I tell people we're raising hope, but she's raising us. And so we feel the most um, blessed. I don't even know what word to use we are so thankful to be a part of this community and that like our life would not be the same without hope and without this community. I mean, we see people all the time and we're, I'm having my wife and I both are in conversations with moms and dads and individuals daily that are struggling in different ways. And we, and my youngest daughter, um, I uh, get emotional thinking about it just because like she doesn't have special needs, but she grew up with a sister with special needs and that's her older sister, but she's kind of been the older sister. Mm. And, and I tell people siblings are the unsung heroes in this story. People don't really understand that, but man, the, the ways that they are formed, if they let, and, and my youngest daughter, Addie is such, um, anyway, Sorry. Um, no, I love it. I, th I think what she is, you're she just a, is a world love. changer. I love because it. Because she's let this form her. And we all have to a degree let it form us and change us rather than fight against it. And it has just been the greatest blessing in our in our world. So man, the the love that just pours from your heart is so um just so admirable, Pete. Like, man, I'm Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's true. I'm very proud of my girls. They are, yeah. they are awesome. And, and, and my wife, like she is, she's really the, the anchor to, <laughs> to more than people realize. So, yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, I know we're getting really close to time here. Uh, I kind of want to close maybe with, with two questions for you. No, uh, cause I know you, you mentioned one of your hopes with, with beyond communities is kind of starting to speak to that. Um, couple that has maybe that five six seven year old or maybe even younger right maybe so what advice or encouragement to would you have for like a father maybe early in this journey or early in their experience with with it with a child with special needs i think i would give the same advice that somebody gave me in marriage and it might sound interesting off the top but it comes back to a relationship killer is expectations. And it doesn't mean don't be positive. It doesn't mean don't be optimistic. It just means if I expect it to be there and then it's not where I thought, I'm just going to constantly live in tension and frustration and unhealthy tension. And I would say in this scenario, probably throw expectations to the wind mm -hmm. and be, it's what you said earlier, you know, just be, uh, be very present, be a, become a student, let this scenario raise you rather than you feel like you've got to figure out what to do. Um, and I don't know how, you know, 
we can do this without a relationship with God because, you know, there there's just, that's obviously primarily important. But I think I would say to a dad, you have to connect with others who are a little, it's, this is no different than fathering. Like, this is why I love what you're doing, you know, with just trying to help dads, you know, like we need somebody a little bit ahead of us to follow along. We need somebody behind us to help out. And then we just need people parallel to us to just go, me too. Yeah, I'm struggling. Okay, this is, you know. Yeah, it's all link on. Um, you just have to be, you know. And I just think, you know, just like we wouldn't want to overpromise and underdeliver our our wives or our kids for things that we don't know how to handle this this new thing. Take the pressure off of yourself, dad, for feeling like your job is to figure this out mm-hmm. and rely on our heavenly father, um, trust in him deeply and and just take one step at a time. And um, yeah, that's what I would say. Nice. That's beautiful. Um, and I guess I kind of maybe have two more and they'll be, I think they'll be quick. Uh, one of them is uh, maybe for someone who doesn't have a lot of exposure to, to maybe the special needs community, how can we best like better educate ourselves or figure out how we could be you know, champions of that community? Uh, and on top of that, like how can people support, you know, like beyond communities to help make sure that, that it's successful? Yeah. Great questions. And thank you for those. I think number one, we probably don't have to look very far to see someone in our life that has some form of a, you know, physical or intellectual disability. And again, even the term disability, like this just keeps widening, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. but um, I would say to churches, rather than start programs and invite people to your programs, um, First, that's a very important. Some of them have great. I would say on an organizational and individual, who is in your sphere of influence? Get to know them. Be more incarnational. Ask them questions. Find out what their needs are. Maybe it's literally like, hey, for some, the disability is so severe that the caregiver or the parent hasn't ever been to Starbucks or in five years, I haven't had 25 minutes by myself. <laughs> so sometimes the 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 medical situations are different but like a lot of times there's somebody that you can go and take you know one of the things that was so helpful for us when we were living in Ohio is young life has a program called Capernaum and it's specifically for like mentoring program for special needs they would come her leaders would come and take hope to the mall or just take a place oh, like that's cool. it would give her it would fulfill hope's desires to do something that other kids her age were doing that she, Mm. you know, and it also gave like sometimes just a breather, uh, 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 two hours. My wife and I could go, you know, or there, there are like, I can't even in this time frame tell you all the different ways, but open your eyes to the people around you. Don't be afraid to offer your help. Mm, And, um, don't feel like you have to know it all or figure out and don't be, don't, don't let the awkwardness make you awkward. Just jump into the awkwardness mm-hmm. and let just, just get messy with it. Cause these, like, they're going to say stuff. <laughs> you never know, you know, we were just down at the beach and I saw this family and I just was like, you know, I'm going to go talk to him. I knew, cause we know, you know, 
their son who was like 19, maybe 20. And he ran off. And then I walked over and I said, Hey, what's your son's name? You know? Uh, and they know immediately, like, so, you know, something about this world, you yeah. know? And I said, yeah, we, yes, we do. We have a daughter, you know, da, da, da. but even if you don't just be like, tell me your son's name or get to know them instead of stare at a distance and you don't mean to, but you know, like just jump into it. But that kid, like he came over, we got to know him. I mean, he's hugged. I mean, I had sand all over me, you know, it's just like, it was just a beautiful mess, but you just got to get into their world. And it's okay. Parents aren't going to fault you for not knowing the lingo or not knowing how to deal with something. Treat these individuals like you would anybody else. Like just jump into the world. I don't know. No, I love that. I love that. For beyond communities. You yeah. can go to beyondcommunities.org um, and just check out our website. We're still in the phase of, again, creating awareness and connecting with people. You can connect with us on there, schedule a call with me or my wife or someone else, we'd love to reach out and just let you know what this is, both in form of you may be a family or an individual that knows someone looking for this, we'd love to connect with you. Second, and very important at this stage for us is just, if you wanna donate, you can go to beyondcommunities.org, you'll see the donate button, it gives you easy ways to donate. We're trying to raise funds to buy the land to then build these townhomes where we are. It is a very expensive project, we know God's going to bring it. Um, and there's a lot of ways that people can do that. There's so many different, you know, individuals, re recurring gifts, one-time gift, give through your company, your business. I've got a friend who gives a percentage of every real estate sale because he loves what we're doing, you know, like, mm -hmm. and so there's so many creative ways people can literally, you know, give through all kinds of different ways. So anyway, That's I think awesome. just connect with us, donate. It's great. Very cool. Awesome, Pete. Well, thank you so much for being on today. Uh, I learned a tremendous amount. Um, I think your story is just absolutely beautiful. It's your heart for your, all your girls, you know, wife and both your daughters um, is astounding. So thank you so much. Um, thank you. Thank you for having me, Matthew. This is really a privilege and thank you for what you're doing for dads. It, I know it, it is making a difference and it's very encouraging for me to see. Awesome. That means a ton. Thank you, Pete. Yep. All right. Thank you. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode of the Faith Forged Fathers podcast, please leave us a five-star review on whichever podcast platform you're listening from. Subscribe to the podcast and also head on over to Instagram and follow at Faith Forged Fathers. Thanks again for listening.